0: Father, we praise you for your incredible love for us. Father, thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your own son, our precious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. We praise you, we praise you, we praise you. We love you, Father. I pray now as we study your word, God, that you will infuse into our hearts and minds your truths. Father, I pray that we would not leave here unchanged today. Father, not because of I who am giving the message, but because of your spirit, Father, that you would change our hearts, our minds, and our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This morning we will be in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. How exciting it is to be here with you guys in this new building. Uh, Just watching it go up and just seeing all that God did in the process of Providing for it was amazing. Um, God just did amazing miracles over and over and over again. Um, just incredible to to watch that and to see what God's done here in Irmo. Praise God. Praise God. All right. Second Corinthians, chapter eleven. We're going to start in verse one today, and we're going to read uh, through the chapter. Tough chapter. Um, Paul is using satire through the whole chapter so it's, it's make you scratch your head a few times but it's interesting. So uh, we'll dig in and and see all that God has for us today. Let's start in verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. But indeed you are bearing with me for I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betroth you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that as a servant deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached or you receive a different spirit, which you've not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles, but even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I'm not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. Or, or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted, because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you. And will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows that I do, verse 12, but what I am doing I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the manner about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Verse 16, again I say, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, receive me even as foolish, so that I may also boast a little. What I am saying, I am not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting. Since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I'm more so, in far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from success, such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, The Ethnarch under Aretas the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and so escaped his hands. This passage this morning is very unusual for Paul's writing. He's being very honest with them. He's trying at the same time to to, to warn them, to protect them but he's using a figure of speech we're not used to in the scriptures, and that's satire. He's speaking satirically through the whole thing, so it's difficult to to follow, but today we're going to do it. We're going to dig in. All right? You ready? Let's do it. All right. Paul's first point here is not violating what you just studied last week. Let's look at the last verse of chapter 10. What does he say in verse 18 of, First, 2 Corinthians 10, for it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. All right? So is he violating that principle in chapter 11? Is he violating the very principle that he was teaching here in verse 18? Yes or no? No, he's not. No, he's not. Because he is a true apostle, Paul is compelled to lay out for them his credibility. Because there are so many false people coming in saying so much about God, about the Lord Jesus Christ, that's not right. There's so much untruth being dispelled, being dispersed, that he has to dispel it. He has to come in and show them what truth is. And, brothers and sisters, today, before we leave, if you guys can know just a little bit more about how false prophets work if you can know just a little bit more about how the enemy schemes against us to try to, to try to blind us to the truth, to try to woo us away, to try to get us off into false teaching, then we'll have accomplished something, all right? So, verse 1, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. Paul is going to begin building his credibility biblically, because he is an apostle, because he is called by Jesus Christ to be an apostle of God. There are many here that we'll see today that are claiming that authority, that are claiming apostleship. In fact, they're saying that, and one version calls them super apostles, okay? But Paul is going to prove today that he is indeed an apostle called of God, and these people that are claiming to be The big, big holy guys, the big religious men, they're imposters. They're imposters. Back in yesteryear, an eminent preacher once said to an English actor named MacReady, he says, I wish you would explain to me something. He said, well, what is it? I don't know that you can explain anything to a preacher, he says. The preacher said, "What, what is the reason for the difference between you and me? You are appearing before crowds night after night with fiction, and the crowds come wherever you go. I am preaching the essential, unchangeable truth, and I'm not getting any crowd at all. McReady answered him this. He says, it's quite simple. I can tell you the difference between us. He says, I present my fiction as though it were truth, and you present your truth as though it were fiction. It's quite convicting. Paul's point here is not to violate the very principle, again, that he's presenting in 1018, okay? But the Corinthians here have been hoodwinked. They've been deceived by false apostles. They've taken the bait, and they've run with it. And we're going to see today what it's caused in their midst. Paul is going to lay out his apostolic credentials. His boasting will not be in himself, even though it'll appear that way, because it's satire, his boasting will be in his weakness as we see at the end in the authority of Jesus Christ and the fact that he, God, Christ himself, has called Paul to this office. Verse 1, Paul sees the Corinthian church as his sheep and he's their shepherd. Verse 2 says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you a pure virgin. Do you see the words here? He is like a father getting ready to give his daughter. Many of you have done that in here, given his daughter in marriage. He wants to prepare her. He wants to present her spotless. He wants to present her to her, her husband, right? Her, the bridegroom. And who is that? Who is the bridegroom? To Christ. Amen. Paul's posture is, though it appears in some place to to be uh, very strong and unapproachable, it's not that way. Turn over, if you would, real quick to 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 5 and following. This is an amazing passage I'd love to run to just to see Paul's character and his love for his people and the way that he approaches ministry, the way he approaches... Approaches pastoral care. I love this. He says in verse. Uh, let's start in verse five. For we never came with flattering speeches, you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Even though, as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. Now, watch this wording here. But we proved to be gentle among you. He's talking to the Thessalonians here. We proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. See these words that he's using? They're tender words. They're the words of a shepherd. The word of somebody who loves his sheep, who wants to care for them, who wants to to shepherd them well, who, who, who's giving and laying his own life down for them so that they will understand and know the gospel, so that they will understand the love of God through them, so they can in turn grab it, and so they can in turn lead others to Christ and disciple those in the same way. All right, back in verse 3 of Second Corinthians chapter 11, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and pure, purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. Again, he's beginning his satire here he's saying you're just soaking it in people are preaching all this heresy they're preaching false doctrine and you're just just soaking it up i'm going to read some quotes by a false teacher of our time i'm going to try to i'm going to see if any of you know who this is by what i'm going to read i'm going to read some quotes he's written a book and he speaks all over all over the us he says this quote If you develop an image of success, health, abundance, joy, peace, happiness, nothing on earth will be able to hold those things from you. His second quote, all of us are born for earthly greatness. You were born to win. God wants you to live in abundance. You were born to be a champion. He wants you to to give you the desires of your heart. See how they weave truth with untruth here? God's word is not the Bible, he says. God's word is that word that comes to us mystically, spiritually, and that tells us what we should want. Okay? All right. Anybody know who this is yet? Somebody, yeah. I I, I hear somebody knows it. He says this. He says, Get your thinking positive, and he will bring you to desires to pass. He regards you as a strong, courageous, and successful person. You're on your way to a new level of glory. He says, believe, visualize, and speak out loud. All right? He says, uh, quote, God has already done everything he is going to do. The ball's in your court. You have to take that part of God which exists in you and create your own reality. That's what he's saying. All right? Anybody know who this is? Joel Osteen. Yeah. Joel Osteen. Very popular, one of the biggest churches in America. And I'm not up here to bash other people, but brothers and sisters, if I'm not honest with you about the truth of the gospel, and the truth of what it teaches. And we don't call these people out for what they're doing to deceive one another. And even in here, I've listened to Joel Osteen and didn't know until it became evident when he was on the Larry King show and and kind of fudged on the, what the gospel was. And that was the first time I'd heard it. And from there, it was off to the races with him. It's just gotten worse. It's just gotten worse. He believes in health, wealth, and prosperity is, is what he That's his gospel, health, wealth, and prosperity. And if you're not experiencing that, then there's something wrong, and you've got to figure out what it is that's wrong. Paul here is exposing the same thing back in the Corinthian church. He says, verse 4, For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, who you have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. Some of the versions say super apostles. But if, even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach the gospel of God to you without charge? So if you notice here, the words that he's using, these people consider themselves, these false teachers, better than Paul, and they're telling them that. They're telling the Corinthians churches, we're better than this guy Paul that came by and and, and helped set this church up and helped plant this church. Verse 6, these super apostles, brothers and sisters, are much easier to listen to than Paul. They're much easier to listen to. Smooth words, the tickling of the ears. Sound familiar? Let's turn over to, uh, well, let's wait. I'm going to wait on that verse just a second. I think there's a better context for it. But the tickling of the ears, it'll happen in the end times, won't it? The tickling of the ears, the false prophets, those who claim to be the Messiah, this will escalate. The momentum will grow more and more. So, even, even so that they can deceive the elect, those of us who are in Christ, who love Jesus. So, but even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge, Paul says. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. Verse 7, or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? So these people are coming, uh, it's very confident. Paul comes with, verse 7, humility. All right, see the contrast there? Paul came preaching to them without charge. He says, verse 8, I robbed other churches by taking wages for them to serve you. Now, is it wrong for a pastor to make a living? Turn with me to 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. 1 Timothy 5, and verse 17. This is an important principle that we teach in Calvary Chapel, and it's very, very important for you guys to make sure David and the family are taken care of and those who serve you who are on staff. It says this, Verse 17, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Verse 18, for the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Okay? So what the principle here that Timothy is teaching is that it's not wrong for Paul, even in the Corinthian church, to accept money from them in order to do the ministry amongst them, right? But did he accept it? He didn't accept it at all did he he didn't accept it he didn't accept it but how was he able to continue this ministry verse 8 i robbed other churches by taking wages from them in order to serve you and when i was present with you verse 9 and was in need i was not a burden to anyone amongst you For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need and in everything I kept myself from being a burden to you. And I will continue to do so. So Paul could have required from them a tithe in order to support himself, in order to pay for his lodging, in order to pay for his food, in order to be a blessing to his his, uh, extended family and so forth. But he didn't. He didn't and he actually uh, received the money from Macedonia. Now, it's interesting, it tells us which Macedonian church that he got it from. I'll turn over, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn over to Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. It says this, but I have received everything in full and have in abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And this Macedonian church was the church in Philippi, in Greece. All right? They're the ones that kept pumping money in in order to support the ministry to Paul. Verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I I do not love you. God knows that I do. Again, if you're without guile like Nathaniel, this will be a tough chapter for you. Because you you just, hey, you see it as it is and you just call it straight. He's using satire through this entire chapter. Those of us who understand the nuances of satire, just, just... Keep that in mind because he's flipping back and forth from stating a truth to speaking satirically, okay? And so basically he just says in verse 10, I'm setting the record straight about my credibility and the truth about these false prophets. I do this out of love, verse 11, even if this is hard for you to hear. Sometimes it's hard to speak straight with somebody who needs the truth, isn't it? to speak the truth in love, it's very, very difficult. Now, it's also hard to be on the receiving end, isn't it? I have to be on the receiving end frequently. I'm a sinner, and um, hey, it's tough. But we need to be approachable, don't we? We need to be approachable. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be accountable one to another. And when somebody approaches us and and calls our hand at something, we need to be at least honest enough before the Lord through his spirit to receive it and listen to it. doesn't mean that it's true, but we at least need to pray about it, don't we? We need to be approachable, approachable. And that's his prayer here for the Corinthian church, that they will not only hear these words, this rebuke, this admonishment, but that they, in response to it, will listen and so protect themselves and their little ones their children grandchildren from these false these false prophets verse 12 but what i am doing i will continue to do paul says so that i may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting they're boasting about their apostleship their credibility and he's saying you need to disregard them and you need to listen to me i am an apostle of christ as it were, he is the 13th apostle. Matthias was, they cast lots for Matthias to get Judas's spot, but Paul was approached by Christ personally on the road to Damascus, Damascus, and if you remember, he was called as an apostle. But these other guys in verse 13, they are false prophets, deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Their job description here is to deceive and they work very hard to disguise themselves as true apostles of Christ. Verse 14, no wonder for even Satan disguises themselves as an angel of light. Whew. All right, so these people that are false teachers are coming across like they know Christ. They're coming across that they love God, but they're not holding to God's word, are they? They're preaching falsehood, and he says here, they are following after the one who leads them, and the one who leads them is who? Satan. Satan himself. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. We've heard all of these stories in books. I'm fascinated by these, these afterlife experiences when people die on the emergency table. I've always been interested in those things and read those they all often see a light you know at the end of the tunnel doesn't mean that they know christ necessarily but they see this light you know and and see it as good now if you're a believer in christ that's a great thing brothers and sisters if you're not a believer in christ and you see a light it can be satan as well can it and you need to know that you know christ because you can be assured of the wrong thing um if, if you don't accept Christ as your Savior and your Lord, because Satan does a wonderful job as posing as an angel of light. As one of the most powerful creatures ever created, according to the Scriptures, he was, Satan, he was God's right-hand messenger, worker, helper. He was filled with creativity, Some say the original gift of music and creativity um, was his. He is able to use uh, music. He's able to use all of the arts um, amazingly, captivatingly to draw our attention. You say, why isn't Christian music sometimes, it doesn't seem as good as, as, as the world Well, the world is under his authority when we're in Christ and we have the spirit in us Christian music is amazing but brothers and sisters we're all torn by the world's music I know it you may not admit it but sometimes those songs come out and you can't get them out of your head and they're amazing aren't they there's a reason for that it's not according to their own spirit that they're writing those lyrics it's not according to their own spirit that they're writing those songs Movies is the same thing. It's the best movies out there. Are they Christian movies, movies as far as excellence and creativity? and Does the world rush to Christian movies because they're just amazingly produced? and mm, Usually we look at them and think, man, this is pretty bad. <laughs> this acting is rough. Nine times out of ten, I'm serious. Now, I've seen in the last few weeks this movie uh, um, that just came out. Um, what is it? I can, I can only imagine, yeah. I've seen it twice. It's amazing. And uh, it's one of the best Christian movies I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of them over the years. It's, an, it's, it's a good movie. Dennis Quaid does a great job. And, in fact, the one that pay, plays Bart Miller does a great job. And the spirit really blessed that movie. And I think God's going to continue to use it. I, I went to see it yesterday with my son. He hadn't seen it yet. The rest of the family saw it. And uh, we went to a matinee at 1210 over at Columbiana Center, sold out. Three or four weeks later, sold out. We had to sit in the front on the front row, second to front row. Praise God. Praise God. They've done it well. They've produced something that really, really speaks into this time and this generation and is a wonderful tool uh, dealing with lots of themes, including the father-mother wounds that uh, some of us have experienced. But that's one out of 20 or one out of 30, right? And they're getting better. They're getting better. The Emmett brothers and the other two brothers, I forget their names, but they're doing better and better at producing movies. My uncle produced a movie one time. He was involved in the music business and, and did very well with it. The Lord blessed him in it. And uh, honestly, it's just terrible. I love i love my uncle, but it was terrible. You know, it's just you can't act acting in Being an actor or actress is really tough. And to pay somebody that really knows how to do it well and to produce it the way it should be produced in order for people to come is really tough and it takes a lot of money, doesn't it? A whole lot of cash. Satan is the god of this world. And brothers and sisters, uh, he does his job very, very well at captivating people, captivating their hearts, minds, and souls to lead them to hell. God will continue to give us the grace in that arena of the arts to do better, to, uh, to, to have those songs, to have those movies that inspire. And he'll continue to lead men and women to personal faith in Jesus Christ, as many as he calls. And we're part of that process being a part of the Great Commission. It's exciting to see hearts and lives changed and see people coming to know Christ. All right, verse 15. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So Satan is, is disguising himself as an angel of light, but these false teachers are too. They don't, they don't come across saying we're false teachers, follow me. They say, no, we love Jesus But we want to teach you the deeper things of the faith and show you the real way you should walk with Christ. They're deceitful. They're cunning. And ultimately, they're very consistent. They all want what out of you? Your money. Yes, they want your money. Absolutely. They're very consistent with that for some reason. All right. Verse 16 again, I say, let no one think me foolish. But if you do, receive me even as foolish, Paul says, so that I may also boast a little. Verse 17 What I am saying, I'm not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting. Since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. Verse 18 For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. Okay, again, speaking satirically. So another part of their job description is these false teachers enslave, number one. Number two, they devour. Number three, they take advantage of people. Number four, they exalt themselves, okay? And he says, in effect, they're, it's like they're hitting you in the face, but you don't even know it. You're not even seeing it. They're hitting you right smack dab in the middle of the face, and so you don't even, you act like you don't even feel it. You've been so deceived by them. Verse 21, to my shame I must say that we have been weak by comparison. These false teachers are strong, and they come across as, as angels of light, right? But, but, but those of us who really know Christ, we're humble, and we come across as weak by comparison to these super apostles, these false teachers. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. And Paul is going to go into why he has been called as an apostle. Verse 22 are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they, dis- are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, he says. <laughs> I'm more so and far more labors and far more imprisonments. Okay, Paul here is very, very uncomfortable giving his credentials. The only way he's able to do it is to do it using hyperbole using it using satire to get the point across he says i have have been beaten verse 23 times without number he can't even remember all the times he's been beaten for the gospel's sake often in danger of death Now again, you're going to look at a whole list of things here where he's describing the hardship of one who knows Christ. Brothers and sisters, remember this principle today if you don't remember anything else. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says this. Let's turn over there real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12. God has given us an abundant life and called us to an abundant life, brothers and sisters. That is true from the scriptures, okay? But understand this, verse 12 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you're there, say amen. amen. Okay, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And what that means is if you're trying to live your best life now and you're trying to avoid difficult times... The Christian life is not for you. Because if you are a believer in Christ, if you are trying to live godly in Christ Jesus according to verse 12, what are you promised? Persecution. You're promised some difficult times, some hardships. Okay? The health and wealth gospel is not for you if you know Christ and love Christ according to the scriptures here. But the reward that we have on the other side is forever, isn't it? And you're going to live the most blessed life now, even if it includes difficulties, even if it includes persecution, even if it includes suffering. And you're not healed on this side of heaven. Amen? Amen. Back to verse 24 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, five times I was received from the Jews 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. Paul often journeyed from Perga to Pisidian Antioch in Acts 13. It describes this journey. It required him to travel through robber infested uh, the Taurus mountains and, and to cross two dangerous flood prone rivers each time he took that trip. All right, So it wasn't an easy trip as he traveled that area and of course he was on three missionary journeys so he probably cross those rivers uh, two or three times at least he says he's been in labor and hardship verse 27 through many sleepless nights can anybody say amen to that anybody in here ever experienced a sleepless night <laughs> you know sometimes the person the lord has laid on your heart or the situation that you've had in your life not only gives you one sleepless night but several in a row It's tough, isn't it? But God is so faithful. Those sleepless nights are the times that I draw close and I stay right in his presence. It keeps me on my knees trying to figure something out, trying to go before him for one of my children, uh, my granddaughter. God is there. God is there for us. He is there to strengthen us. He is there to help us. He is there to rescue us. And he never leaves us or forsakes us, does he? Doesn't he? He's always there for us. Praise God. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure of concern for not just the Corinthian church, but what churches? All the churches. He's the granddaddy of all these churches. All of these people are under his care. The whole Roman Empire of churches are under his care. Hey, the buck stops with him. If he fails to warn them, he fails to guide them, he fails to correct them, he fails to love them, he fails to shepherd them, it stops, the buck stops with him. He's accountable to the Lord for them and for their hearts. Verse 29, who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? He said, there's nobody in any of those churches that my heart doesn't go out to, that I am not right at the right hand of God, lifting them up in prayer to shepherd them, to be concerned for them, to care for them, to, to, to warn them, to admonish them, to, to do anything I can to keep them from sin." To strengthen them when they are weak, to encourage them, to help them. Verse 30. If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. Now, this is counterintuitive. This doesn't make sense to those of us in our flesh, to those of us who operate according to the world's standards. What do you mean he'll boast what pertains to his weakness? Verse 31. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows I'm not lying. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and so escaped his hands. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, and you'll study this next week. Let's look at the next page there. Chapter 12, verse 10. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. Why, why would he be content with these things, guys? Why is he content according to verse 10? What does the last phrase say? For when I am weak, then I am... Wow, that's a new principle, isn't it? For when I am weak then I am strong. Brothers and sisters, our faith is not built. It doesn't grow in a vacuum. It grows in the crucible of life's circumstances, in the day-to-day trials and struggles that we go through. For brothers and sisters, when we allow ourselves to go through those and don't check out, when we allow ourselves to go through those and we stay on our knees in prayer and we intercede for those are going through trials around us when we are at that point of weakness then we're strong our faith is built we begin to see that in our weakness God is coming through and he is doing amazing things through us praise God he does amazing things through our prayers he does amazing things through our weaknesses we've looked today at many different things but these three principles I just want to leave you with. Number one, we need to acknowledge the truth of God's work concerning trials and hardships in this life. They're not, they're not something that, that, that we should see as, as something we shouldn't go through. We shouldn't constantly try to get out of trials and hardships. Now, you say, Dan, that's impossible. <laughs> Wait a second here. <laughs> you know, we're not built like that. We don't just remain under these trials and hardships. And brothers and sisters, if God has given you the means necessary to get out of a trial or hardship or to get your family out of it, please do that. I'm not asking you to be silly. You know, God has given us resources to help our families. I'm not asking for that. But what I'm not asking you, what I'm asking you not to do is to run to things to escape the trials and hardships that you're going through. Don't run to an addiction in order to escape the trial or hardship. Don't run to pornography in order to feel better because of the trial or hardship that you're going through or what you're suffering through. Don't run to alcohol in order to escape the trial or hardship that you're going through. That is what I'm saying. Does that make sense? Don't run to things that the enemy is saying, hey, and the advertisements are saying this will get you out. Buy a new car, that'll, that'll, that'll solve everything, right? Buy this truck and you'll get this beautiful woman with it, right? That's what the advertisements are saying, it's craziness, all right? Allow God's work through you as the trials and hardships of life comes. That's the first principle. Number two, there is a time and place to defend your calling and your gifts and your anointing. This whole passage proves that. There's an appropriate time to lay your credentials out. Even Paul used his Roman citizenship at one point, didn't he? There's a time and place to do that. Now, the way we do it is critical. We can do it in a proud way, can't we, and walk in sin, or we can do it humbly at the right time in order to show the work of God in our life and to give him glory. Amen? The third principle There is a time and place to share your Christian experience as Paul did today and what God has done in your life and to give testimony to the trials and hardships that you've been through in the past, again, to glorify the Lord. There's a time and place for that. Now, you don't want to always just be an exhibitionist and always talk about all your trials and your hardships and it's always me, 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 me and feel sorry for me. I've been a victim my whole life. I don't mean that. But there is a time and place like Paul did here to share those things you've been through. And it can be very effective if the Holy Spirit leads you to do that in somebody's life. Very, very effective. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here. God, thank you for their love for your word. Thank you, Father, that your word is a lamp unto their feet and a light unto their path. Father, I pray that as the false prophets come, Father God, I pray as the false prophets seek to deceive them in the days ahead and seek to deceive their children, Lord, that they will be pillars of faith, that they will be trees of righteousness amongst whom's leaves and shade, Lord, their children and grandchildren will find safety and refuge, Lord, in the shadow of your wings, Father. And Father God, I just pray that you will strengthen them as they suffer That you'll strengthen them, Lord, as they go through difficult times. Father, you'll strengthen them, Lord, as they find their refuge in you. Father, as they realize the principle that when they are weak, you, Father, are strong. And, Father, that you will strengthen them through your spirit. In Jesus' name, for his glory. Amen.